You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Good morning, church. I've been uh, praying for you this week, uh, praying that God has a word for each and every one of you, and I know that God has a word for specifically one of you in here, um, someone who drives a white Hyundai Santa Fe. Your windows are down, and we would prefer if you did not have a swimming pool in your car. Uh, White uh, Hyundai Santa Fe. I was given that just before I came up here, so um, if that's the only word you receive this morning, I'm terribly sorry. For everybody else, you're kind of stuck with me for the next little while. Thank y'all for letting me be here with you. Um, Pastor Wade had, uh, had talked to me a few weeks back about coming and preaching, and um, since that moment, God had put a word on my heart um, for each of us, and when I say each of us, I mean myself and my family as well, and um, I'll, I'll start it off with... A bit of a story. Some years ago, um, while Hope and I we were uh, we were engaged and we were uh, g- we were going through premarital counseling, and uh, we went through this with a dear friend of mine. His name is Wayne Noggle. Wayne was my student pastor for a while and um, knew all the secrets, knew where all the bodies were buried, and so Hope came into it with a with a, a really um, very much an advantage because. Wayne knew all my stories and knew none of hers. And so everything that he was telling, he was just, he was just letting everything out of the bag. Um, but but uh, one night um, he said, hey, listen, I know we've got a session um, a couple of days from now, so I need you to come by and pick up a couple of books and work through that stuff. And I said, perfect, fantastic. Hope and I were uh, going to be meeting each other that night anyway. And so I drove out to Wayne's place. Now here's the thing. I grew up in a rural part of northern Georgia where when I say it's the middle of nowhere, what I mean is it's the middle of nowhere. And you may say, okay, northern Georgia, how rural can it be? They filmed parts of Dukes of Hazard, a stone's throw from my house, the middle of nowhere. But when I say that where I grew up made Wayne's kind of neighborhood look like Central Park, you'll know he literally was in the middle of nowhere. It took me an hour to get out to his place. I picked up the books and he said, you know your way back? And I said that fateful one letter response or one word response that got me into a, a quite a bit of trouble. Yeah. I did not know my way back. Um, some of you may know this about me. I don't have what we would refer to as an impeccable sense of direction. Um, as an example, I got lost my first week here three times looking for the bathroom. So I get lost rather easily. And so I was coming back from Wayne's, uh, from Wayne's place, and I got lost. I should have zigged um, when I zagged. I should have I made some left-hand turn when I, when I took a right. I don't know what happened to this day, but I was out in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to date myself with the story just a little bit because at that point there was no GPS um, system in the car with me. And I had a phone, but it did not have anything that would tell you which way to go. 
So I had a phone, it was useless. I had no way of knowing where, where I was going and I was out in the middle of nowhere or as people that I grew up around, they would say, I was out in split silk. I don't know what split silk is. They just said, that's when you're lost. You're out in split silk. Sounds fantastic, split silk it is. So I was out in split silk and I get this uh, call and it's from Hope and I say, hey hon. Now, if you're married in here and if you've been married for a little while, you know what I mean when, when I say that you can tell the, um, the emotional state of your beloved when they say, hey, back. And when Hope says, hey, how are you? I know everything's okay. And when she goes, hey, I know everything's not so good. And I say, hey, hon. She says, hey. And I said, how are you? She said, good. Um, where are you? And I said, I have no idea. It's embarrassing getting lost in the county that I grew up in and having to have someone who's lived there for all of, I don't know, six months, tell me how to get back to where I'm going. That was sad. That was a, that was a low point. That was a wake-up call for me. But it was one of those things where um, I realized I had gotten off course somewhere and I had to find my way back. Eventually, yes, I found where I was going. I realized, oh, yep, I swerved left when I should have stayed right. Got back, uh, got back in town, did the premarital counseling, married the love of my life. We have some kids now. Thank God they act like her. But it wasn't until years later that I realized that I had gotten off course um, with my family in another way as well. Um, I had heard, a, I'd heard a, a pastor speaking about the need for family worship. And I didn't really understand what he meant by that because I grew up in a home um, where Christ was Lord. I grew up in a home where we went to church very regularly. In fact, it was at a certain point that the pastor just started giving my family a key because he knew we were going to be there. And nine times out of 10, he knew we were going to beat them to the church. And so it was just one of those things. We would just kind of unlock the church as we were coming in. We were a church going family. My dad, it was, it was very routine to see him. Um, I would wake up in the mornings and I would come into the living room and there was his chair that he always sat and he would be kneeling at his chair, um, praying for us, praying for his family, praying for his church. He had his Bible open in front of him. Um, it was very routine for me to see that happening. When I would sit beside my mother and worship on Sunday mornings, it would be very routine for her to have her Bible open and I would see these verses underlined and these other verses highlighted and some of them were both. I couldn't flip a page in that Bible but that I would see something highlighted and I would see some notes in the margin. My, my parents are, are people who love the Lord. My parents are people who wanted to see us worship the Lord. My parents are people who wanted to see us um, grow in our relationship with Christ. That my dad encouraged me, my mother encouraged me to have a personal time of, of devotion and a personal time of Bible study and of prayer. But it wasn't until very much later in my married life that I began to hear about what it meant to be in family worship and what it meant to rediscover family worship. If, you're, if you've looked in your worship guide, you're, you're looking at something called rediscovering family worship and for a lot of us, that may be something brand new. For a lot of us, that may be something that you do on a regular basis, and if so, fantastic. 
But I'm going, to I'm going to take us through some scripture and I want to take us through some of the stories of my own life about what it meant for me to rediscover family worship and how I hope each and every one of us in here can rediscover what it means to be in family worship. And the thing is, we got a little bit of a view of what that looked like a few years ago, right? Yeah, we remember that. You know, when the apocalypse had a soft grand opening and everything shut down and you were in your home with those people every day, all day, right? And very early in, um, in my tenure here, in fact, the, the, the first week that I came here, everything shut down. And I remember going into a meeting and we were trying to hash out how in the world are we going to meet as a body of believers when we can't meet as a body of believers. And so we came up with this idea of, of having a worship service that we were able to live stream into your homes. And for some of us, that was kind of odd. Do you remember that first Sunday and you tuned in and it was a little, it was a little odd. You know, you were singing right beside the people in your family and it was like, this is, this is weird. I can hear you and you sound really good. Maybe you don't sound so good. You know, we're, we're worshiping together as a family. For some of us, it might've been very strange. For some of us, we loved it because that was the first time we got to experience going to church in our pajamas. But for all of us, it gave us a good glimpse of what it looks like to worship as a family. And I want us today to take a look and rediscover what it looks like to worship as a family. It's something that my family, we're still growing in. We're not great at it, we don't bat a thousand. But I can honestly tell you, we're better at it this year than we were last year. We're better at it this month than we were last month. And really what it comes down to if you're taking notes, I didn't put this in there because this is just gonna be one that's, I'm not even gonna charge you for this. This is free of charge. But what, what does it mean to worship as a family? You read, you pray, and you sing. And that's really it. You, you pick a passage of scripture that you're going to read through. You pray as a family, and then you sing a song together. Now you may be saying, I'm not really able to preach. Fantastic, you don't have to. But I can tell you that there is immeasurable benefit to you breaking open the word of God, reading from it, praying with your family. And when I say rediscover, um, I know that there are some of us, and myself included, like I said, we're not the greatest at it. But when I say rediscover, I also mean that, to be honest with you, for most of Christian history, Family worship in this manner was a normal thing. So much so that Charles Haddon Spurgeon had this to say. He said, I trust that there are none here present who profess to be followers of Christ who do not practice family prayer and family worship in their homes. He said this, we believe it is so much in accord with the genius and spirit of the gospel and that it is so commended by the example of the saints that the neglect thereof is a strange inconsistency. See, to, to Spurgeon, he assumed that family worship was just an ongoing thing. In fact, so many people, so many writings from this time assumed that family worship was a normal thing. It was basically an unspoken rule that in church leadership, if you didn't worship routinely with your family, there, there's, a, there's an, a disconnect going on here. And so it was very much assumed um, that this was, this was something that was happening. And in fact, we see that family worship was an assumption all through scripture as well. 
If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be taking a look at verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to be taking a look at verses 4 through 9. And when you have it, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. And God says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And all God's people said, you may be seated. So we're going to camp out around this text for the next, uh, for the next little while. And we're going to take a look at three truths that we're going to draw out today from this. And the first one, as you can see on the screen, there's an undeniable link between our love for God and our engagement with his word. Look at what God says here. He says in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The writer links these two statements together. In the writer's mind, ultimately in God's mind, there is a link between our love of God and how we engage with his word. And the context of this word that God is giving us here is that he has just given the Hebrew nation the Ten Commandments. This is his greatest self-revelation of who he is and what his character is like. And we take a look at the Ten Commandments and we say correctly that, well, those are God's laws. And he's, it's a prescriptive um, understanding of what God's people are supposed to be like. And that's true. It is. It is a prescriptive understanding of what God's people are supposed to be like. But ultimately, it is a descriptive understanding of what God's character is. I'm going to fast forward a little bit, and I'm going to take us to uh, the, the, the temple that would have eventually been built. And there was a courtyard where everybody met, and there was a holy place. And then there was a most holy place, or something called the Holy of Holies. Now, th this blueprint or this layout of what, of what a temple would look like, this wasn't new to the Israelites. In fact, in, in, um, in Middle Eastern tradition, this was how any temple would look. Any temple that was built to any deity would have looked exactly like this. There would have been a courtyard. There would have been a, a holy place. And there would have been a, a most holy place. And if you were to walk into that most holy place of any one of these other gods, what you would have seen was you would have seen paintings or sculptures or art or depictions of what this God looked like. If you wanted to look like, if you wanted to know what Baal was like, you'd go into this temple and there would be these sculptures of Baal and there would be these statues of Baal and there would be these paintings and these pictures and these images of Baal. And when God set forth for his temple to be built, when God said, do you want to know what I look like? Here's what I look like. He put in the middle of it his Ten Commandments. Do you want to know what I look like? This is what I look like. And it was his character. And it was his person. And that's what he gave to Israel here and there. He said, do you want to know what I'm like? This is what I'm like. 
And so for God to reveal himself like that, for God to show who he was like that, was a huge, it was a huge revelation. It was, it was this landmark event. And God said, listen, if, if, if I have shown myself who I am and I've shown you the way in which you need to walk, there is an inextricable link between how you interact with my law, with my word, and your love for me. God was revealing himself to the nation of Israel, and God knew this about the human heart. What we love, we diligently study. And I'll say that again. What we love, we diligently study. I remember um, quite a few years ago, um, we went to Thanksgiving at my grandparents' house, and my uncle brought to my dad a handmade knife. It was beautiful. I'd never seen anything like it. And, and my dad was admiring it, and, he, and I was walking by, and he said, hey, Jared, look at this. And I looked at it, and it was, it was immaculate. And I looked at my uncle, and I said, where did you buy this? And he said, I didn't. I, I made it. It blew my mind. It was the next best thing to magic that I'd ever seen. I was like, I just thought that knives came from, like, a store or a factory. I didn't know that, you know, people could make them. And I certainly didn't know that somebody that I knew could make something this, this beautiful. And so I don't know if my uncle intended for this to happen, but his day was shot after that. It was done. It was a wrap because every time he turned around, I was right there. Oh yeah. And what about this? And I had all different kinds of questions. I was like, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you do the third? That poor man just wanted to eat his turkey and dressing and go home. That's all he wanted. He didn't want some snot-nosed kid asking him, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you do that? But this was, it, something had, had clicked off in my mind, and I was right there. I wanted to know about it, and so I was diligently studying everything that he said. A few weeks later, we met for Christmas again. And he, in anticipation of me asking him even more questions, he had a stack of magazines about that thick, and he had a stack of books about that thick. And he said, listen, all you need to know, boom, boom, is right in that box. You need to look through that. I'm gonna go eat and play pool with my brothers and we're just gonna hang out. And that was that. What we love, we diligently, we diligently study. The second thing we're gonna see in this passage is that a love of God's word is born in the home. God says this, you shall teach them Speaking of his law, speaking of his words. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This speaks of an intentional, this speaks of a routine, this speaks of a normalized speaking and reading and preaching of God's word in our homes on a routine basis. Now here's the thing, like I said, we didn't, we didn't do this on a routine basis. We would do it very, um, at a very specific point every year, and I'll talk about that just more in just a moment. But we didn't do this on a routine basis. And we were, we were God-fearing, Bible-loving people. I've had to rediscover what it means to worship God in my home. I've had to rediscover what it means to talk of these things when I sit down with my children and when we walk by the way and when we lie down and when we rise up. I've had to rediscover what it means to diligently teach them to my children. Because our children are never going to rise above our commitment to God's word and our love for him. I wrestled in middle school and in high school. 
Um, it wasn't because I had just this passionate love of the sport. It wasn't really even because um, looking at the sport, it, it kind of, it, it just uh, captured my emotions. It was because I'm the youngest of three boys and we're all about this size and we used to fight a lot. Now, we're all about this size, we used to fight a lot and I'm the youngest. Guess how many of those fights I won? Goose egg. None. Not, not a... Not a not a nary one of those fights that I ever win. I got my plow cleaned left, right, and center. And so when my coach said, hey, if you want to go out for the wrestling team, just, just sign up. I was like, combat sports, that's what I need. And so I signed up for wrestling. And he put us through everything. Y'all, it was, yeah, it was, as he said, it was the toughest thing you'll ever love. He wasn't quite dead on, but, you know, he was pretty close. Um, and, and, it, and it, it produced the desired effect. After a few months of training and after a few months of learning some things, the scales were pretty balanced and we didn't fight anymore because all of a sudden little brother knows how to beat me up. I don't want to fight that anymore. And that did exactly what it needed to. But um, I remember, and this, was, this is incredible, this has been so many years, but I'll never forget this moment. And my wrestling coach never meant to teach me a lesson on leadership and never meant to teach me a lesson on accountability and never meant to teach me a lesson of what it meant to be, um, to be uh, a leader. And he accidentally did. <laughs> but we were talking about body mechanics and we were talking about how to best um, encourage an opponent down to the ground, um, if I can put it that mildly. But he said, listen, if I get somebody's arm, I can twist it around and I can do some things and I can maybe getting them on the ground. If I get somebody around the, the chest, he said, you know, we can, we can struggle and we can, you know, that sort of thing. If I get somebody by the leg and I can lift it up and I can have them hopping all over the place and eventually, yeah, I could probably take them down. If I get somebody by the head, if I get you by the head, I can take you down wherever I want to. And he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, as goes the head, so goes the body. As goes the head, so goes the body. And the fact is that that's true in our lives as well. Parents, as our love for God goes, so our children's love for God will go. As, as our love of God's word goes, so theirs will as well. And I'm gonna introduce this concept, and I'll probably come back to it in a little bit, but this concept of a, of, of a late mirror is one I want to introduce to you. And what I mean by a late mirror is this, that your children are going to mirror what you do after they see you do it for a while. So in a mirror, when I lift my hand, my hand raises. When I walk back, I walk backward. But with a late mirror, it mirrors what I do a little bit after I'm doing it. And your children are late mirrors. And they'll see you, they'll, they'll do what they see you doing diligently and routinely. How we live out our faith is how our children will live out our faith. And grandparents, how you live out your faith is how your families will begin to live out their faith. And for, for my people in here who are single or for my people in here who, who do, do not have children yet, you may be saying, ha, ha, I'm off the hook. And I would say, not so fast. Because there's no better time, if you're in here and you're single, there's no better time for you to set a good precedent and for you to set a good, um, a good direction and a good trajectory for how you want your life to go than, 
than right now for you to say, God, I am going to worship you. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray. And nothing is going to get in, in my way of that, no matter what. It may be 10 minutes a day, but I'm going to do that. If you're in here and you're married and you do, do not have children, this is a perfect time for you to start this tradition right here and right now. And again, you may be saying, but I'm not a preacher. Fantastic. That makes two of us, right? You may be saying, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trained to do all this thing. You're trained to read and you're trained to pray. Really, that's a great starting point. That's what your family needs more than anything else. More than anything you can give your family, they need to hear you reading from God's word. They need to hear you praying and they need to hear you leading them in that manner. I wish someone had sat down and impressed this on me when I was single. And the people who did sit down and try to impress this on me when I was single, I wish I had listened. I wish I could go back and change that, but guess what? I can't. I can't go back and change what has been, but what I can do is I can change what happens now. And I can change what happens moving forward. Our children will rarely exhibit a love of God that outstrips our own. They just, they just won't. It can happen. I've seen it happen. But so oftentimes what happens is that our children will exhibit this love of God that shoots up like a, like a bottle rocket. And then it slowly settles back down to the level where they see us interacting with God's word, loving him. And the best way for them to see us exhibit a love of God's word, to see us prioritizing it, is when they see us pushing aside everything else in our lives, carving out some time in our day with them, opening up his word, praying. And listen, I know that people in here, you have busy schedules. You are going and going and going, and from the time your feet hit the floor until the time you collapse back into bed, every minute is accounted for. I, I understand that. In our society, more than any other time, our schedules are just, they're really well spoken for, aren't they? Everybody has a claim on our time. Everybody has a claim on our days. And I know that our kids have schedule outside of the houses too. Can I see a hand on that one? Anybody's kids have schedules outside of the house that keep you going and going and going? Yeah. And we're rarely slowing down and we're rarely stopping and we're rarely carving out time where we can have this time. And we might all just be tempted to say, I just don't have enough time. Well, remember Spurgeon from earlier? Um, he was an advocate for family worship. In fact, every evening at six, no matter what, uh, no matter who else was in his home, his family stopped, they read scripture, and they prayed. And you may, may be sitting there and you may be going, yeah, that was Spurgeon. And, 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 I, and I completely get that. And like a good friend of mine, Aaron Weber says, uh, he was a professional Christian. That's what he calls pastors, or professional Christians. He was a professional Christian. That was, that's kind of his job. Well, I would say that he didn't get to where he was um, without doing that. And I would say he wasn't, he wasn't Spurgeon um, because he did that. He did that, and God made him into the man that we know as Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And you may be saying, but how busy could his schedule really, in all honesty, how busy could he have been? 
Glad you asked. Let me read out a few things. He pastored the largest evangelical church in the world at that time with more than 6,000 active members. He preached almost every day. And then he edited those sermons for weekly publications. So basically, he took his messages and wrote them down so that they could be read by other people. And thereby, he produced the largest collection of works by any single author in the English language. In addition to that, he wrote 120 books, one for every four months throughout his entire adult life. He presided over 66 different ministries, including the pastor's college that he founded. He edited a monthly magazine called The Sword and the Trowel, and he typically read five books each week, many of which he reviewed for his magazine. And last but not least, he wrote by hand 500 letters per week. It's not time. It's how we allocate it. That man had a schedule that was busier than I dare say anybody else's in here. And he allocated time to stop everything else that was going on in his life, to open up God's word, to read it, to pray with his family, and to sing a hymn. And believe me, I get it. I can't just throw around the name Spurgeon and make your schedule magically open up. I really can't. But what I can do is I can encourage you to take baby steps, to take a small step toward prioritizing family worship in your life. Give me 10 minutes, just give me that. And you may say, my evenings are crazy. What do your mornings look like? Give me some time in your day when you can say, we're setting everything else aside, we're unplugging, we're putting our phones away, nothing gets to touch this, because here's the thing, where you spend your time, that's what you're interested in. Where you spend your time, that's where you're passionate. And, and if this is a convicting sermon, can I just go ahead and tell you, I've been getting beat up left, right, and center over this one all week. Because I look back at how I've been spending my time and I'm thinking, Jesus help me, God give me mercy. I look back at how I spend my time and I go, what in the world, I, I am a master of the, the unimportant. The last thing we see in this passage is that it is our job to remind each other of God's goodness. Look at verses eight and nine with me. God says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your Gates. God tells us to bind his word on our hands. That's a reminder to me. I look down and I can see that. Okay. It's a string around my finger. It's a constant reminder of his goodness in my life, of his revelation in my life. I look down and I think, yes, God, that is what you've reminded me of. This verse is what you've reminded me of. He says, bind them as frontlets on your eyes. And a phylactery is what he's talking about. And a phylactery is basically a small box that would have contained the law. And if you've never seen somebody with a phylactery on it, it really looks um, kind of interesting. I'm going to go ahead and say it looks rather, uh, uh, rather goofy, <laughs> but it's a very good way of people reminding not themselves because guess what? I don't see what's on my forehead, do I? That's not to remind me. That's to remind everybody around me. 
When somebody sees what's on my forehead, they see what I identify myself as, and they see what I'm trying to remind them of. If you look at what's on my forehead, you're looking at an instant reminder. So I'm going to remind myself. I'm going to remind those around me. He says to write his word on our doorposts and on our gates. And these are places where the people of the house, where the family would regularly look. And God is saying, put my word in front of your eyes. Where is your family looking? Put God's word in in front of that. If you have teenage boys in here, try the refrigerator. Great. Where is your family looking? Put God's word there. Where's your family spending time? Put God's word there. It's our job to remind each other of God's goodness. And if you need a reminder of that this morning, let me remind you in this short verse, in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I read that. And that doesn't sound like drudgery to me. That doesn't sound dry and empty to me. That doesn't sound stale and old to me. That sounds like it's something that's delightful. That sounds like it's something that's wonderful. That you make known the path of life to me at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest thinkers of our time, said it's not that God finds our desires too deep. It's that he finds that our desires are too easily met. He says, he says, sin isn't a problem of us wanting too much. He said, sin is a problem of us being, being satisfied with too little. And he draws this comparison between a child playing in a mud puddle when the father wants to take him to the beach. See, when, when we remind ourselves of God's goodness, we remind ourselves that God wants better for us than we want for ourselves. It's our job to remind each other of God's goodness. And I would say this. You need to remind yourself of this, that it's not a march. It's a dance. I'm gonna say that again. Loving God, being in relationship with him, studying his word, learning in his word, Loving his word. It's not a march. It's a dance. There's a joy here. And so it's a joy that I want you to experience. It's a joy that I want you to know. So I've given you information, information, information. But if there's no transformation in your lives, then James tells us that what we've just heard does us no good. I'm not here to beat you over the head and make you feel like a heel for not reading your Bible with your family. I'm here to convince you of your need for a growing family worship and then give you the tools and resources you need to help engage with that. One of the best tools that you can get, there's a book by a gentleman named Donald Whitney and it's called Family Worship. I know. Um, You'll find a lot of the things that I was talking about are from this book because that was actually the book that revolutionized and changed the way I think about family worship. Again, we're still not batting a thousand in the greenhouse but we're getting better. We're better than we were yesterday, and by God's grace, we'll be better at it tomorrow than we were today. I don't want to beat you up. I want to encourage you that this is something that you can grow in. This is something you can take steps in today. You can start this today. 
We say something in our D group, in our discipleship group. Just give me small changes. Give me a, little, give me a, a change of like five degrees. I, I know that this is the direction you need to be going in. I know that this is the direction you're in. I don't want you to try to just throw yourself into it. I want you to just give me a little bit at a time. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Just, just take a little taste. And if he's good, then give him a little bit more. And if he's still good, then give him a little bit more. And if he's still good, church, give him a little bit more. And can I promise you something? You put God to the test in that. You put your life into him. You put your life into his word. And I guarantee you, he will repay you back a thousandfold whatever you put into it. If you are in here and you know the goodness of God and in, of his word, you know I'm speaking the truth. I'm not looking for an overnight massive change, but what about, what about tonight? If you as a family took 10 minutes and just read through a passage of scripture, read through a, a chapter of scripture, and you may say, listen, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I'm not gonna be good at singing. I would say, I don't know, you, you sing pretty often in the car, don't you? When our, when our song comes on, we're just belting it out. Well, find your song. <laughs> Play it in your house and belt that out. Find your song for Jesus. Find your worship song. Find your Jesus music and belt that out. And you may say, I'm not really good at preaching. Can you, can you read like one, one chapter? I'm not good at praying. I know a really good way to get better at praying. Pray. And you may say, but I'm really bad at it. Fantastic. Pray. And in a month, can I, can I go ahead and tell you? You're gonna be better at praying. You know why? Because the best way to get better at praying is to keep praying. So what about if for 10 minutes today, what about if for 10 minutes this evening, 10 minutes this afternoon, 10 minutes sometime yesterday, you sat down with your family, you broke open the word of God, you prayed that he would give you illumination, you read it, and you thanked him for it. What would happen if you just gave me 10 minutes? Can I, can I go ahead and tell you something? You'd be blessed more than you could ever possibly know. And there are gonna be some times when it's gonna be a difficulty to do that. There are gonna be some times that it's gonna be a sacrifice. My God says bring a sacrifice of praise. And it's not always going to be easy, but can I tell you something? It's worth it. That wrestling coach that I had, he said this is the toughest thing you'll ever love, and he was wrong. I love many things that are much tougher than that, much more. Marriage can be tough, and I love it. Living in this world can be tough, and guess what? I love being God's child. If it's difficult, fantastic, then you know that it's worth it. Because nothing easy is ever worthwhile, and nothing worthwhile is ever, ever going to be easy. So if it's difficult, fantastic, plow through it. And what you're gonna find on the other side of that is immeasurably far and above better than anything you could have ever imagined. The important part is to make a decision. The important part is to decide you're going to do this. And, and you may say, you know what? There are too many hours or there are too many things in the day, there are not enough hours. And you may, and you may say, we're, we're going here, there, and the third place so often, I don't know when we would sit down. Fantastic, what, is, what does the word of God say? It says, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, 
you, your time in the word with your family might not be when you, you know, sit down at the dinner table. It might be as y'all are driving out to a ball field and you, and you say, hey, hey uh, son, hey, daughter, why don't you read this passage of scripture to us and we're gonna pray with each other. Make it a priority that you're going to do that. And can I promise you something? What you invest into God's kingdom, he will repay a thousandfold. I've seen it happen too many times to doubt that he can do it. But it's a decision that you have to make. Parents, we have to make this for our families. Grandparents, you are making this decision for your legacy. Folks who are single, you are making this decision for your family to come. Folks who are married and do not have children yet, you are making this decision for your families, for the children that by God's grace he will give you. Give me 10 minutes. Try it out. I dare you. Now, I said growing up, and I'm gonna be wrapping it up here pretty soon. Um, I said growing up that we didn't really um, worship together as a family. We did it very, very seldom. And the one night that we would do it a year was Christmas Eve. And um, I was fortunate enough to grow up with uh, brothers who were incredibly well musically inclined. In fact, I'd love for, um, I'd love for them to be able to come here sometime and for, the, and for us to sing with each other. Um, but, uh, but my brother, Eric, um, and I, we would play our guitars and Micah would sing with us and we would sing uh, Christmas songs together and we would have a good time. And there always came a time in the evening when my, um, my dad would bring out his Bible and we would put our guitars up and we would sit around uh, his chair and my mother would be sitting right there with him and he would open up to Luke's account of the birth of Christ and he would read through that and we would pray together as a family. Now, when I was a little kid, it was one of those things that I was like, this is the last hurdle to presence, right? I'm thinking, if I can just keep my eye on the prize, we'll get through this. You know, I'm gonna grit my teeth. And then I grew up and I started realizing what good things were and what the good things in life actually were. And the older I got, the more I treasured that. And, and the more I treasured it and the more I treasured it. And we looked forward to it every year. And there were some years when I was like, you know what, we don't have to have, we don't, let's not even open presents. Can we just do this? Can we just have this part? Can we, sanctif can, we, can we sanctify this part? Can we keep this part? I don't care about what's under the tree. I, I, I care about what's around in this circle. And I was tempted to think that it was so special to us because it was a beloved Christmas memory. And to be honest with you, that might have been some of it. But getting older, gaining some wisdom from, from other people, what I'm starting to realize now is that it wasn't Christmas. It was getting together with my family. It was reading God's word, and it was praying. Now, why in the world would I deprive myself of that every day of the year? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.